Sure am thirsty. Mary Joe, these cookies are really good. Homemade cookies. Y'all getting impatient? Yes, you are. My God, this is really good. Anybody impatient yet? I know you type A people are sitting on the edge of your seat. I was driving with Renee in the car the other day and she asked me the question she asked me every week. What are you preaching on this Sunday? I said, love is patient. She says, without skipping a beat, you're the most impatient person I know. I said, well, that's because you don't know a lot of people. She said, I know loads of people, and you're still the most impatient person I know. So, I'm going to give this sermon very patiently. She said I couldn't do it. She dared me. This is really good, Mary Jo. By the way, this is, I'm having a lot of fun with this right now. Unfortunately, Zachary was in the back seat. And Zachary says, Dad, are you going to give examples of how impatient you are? I said, like what, Zachary? He said, like, well, like when we're at HUB, Dad all three of us, and you make mom get in one line, and you make me get in another line, and you stay with the cart and see which line goes the fastest, and then you swoop in. Or how, Dad, you're always talking about how slow drivers are idiots in front of you, and you say words that you can't even say in church. Or how you complain when people walk slow, or they drive slow, or they text slow, or how you always push the close the door button on the elevator, Dad. Or how you hate to have it, to wait for anything, Dad. Are you going to mention that? And I said, no, Zachary, I will not be mentioning that. So there you go, church. This sermon is for me. I'm glad you're online and I'm glad you're here. Man, those cookies. Wow. I'm preaching to myself today. Thank you all for joining. And um, I can't wait until the sermon's over. Can you? 
Don't say amen. Patience is the quality you admire in the driver behind you, but you can't stand in the driver that's in front of you. Amen? I do admit to scoring very high on the impatient scale. How about you? On a scale of 1 to 10 with the impatient test, how do you do? 10 being, well, me, <laughs> impatient. Pick a number. Come on, hurry up. I don't think patience is a virtue. That's a lie that someone said that was very patient person said that. Patience is an achievement. Come on, that's good stuff right there, all right? I love what Margaret Thatcher said about patience. I'm extraordinarily patient, provided I get my own way in the end. It's interesting, you look at the patience of Jesus with people, with Peter, three years, three years, three years, never gives up. You're gonna be the, you're gonna be the rock. You're going to deny me, but I'm going to be patiently loving you. I'm going to welcome you back into ministry, even after the resurrection, right? One of the things that if you look at Scripture, God says to us over and over in Scripture is you must stay on the potter's wheel. So if you're on the potter's wheel, does that mean you're the potter or you're the clay? Which one, church? Which one? Clay. Clay. Very good. We all face situations we don't like. We're uncomfortable. We're not getting our way. Somebody's not treating us right. Track is, is backed up. A person gets on our nerves. It's easy to get frustrated, right? It's easy to say, God, when are you going to ever change this? How many of you ever prayed that prayer? But I've learned, here's what I've learned. You cannot pray away every difficulty. In fact, God uses difficulties to work in us. There's a reason we just sang that song about God's refining fire. The scripture says, he's the potter, we're the clay. And when God is spinning us around on that potter's wheel and he comes across a lump of impatience, of pride, or of jealousy, he'll put us in a situation where it'll bring those impurities to light. Which is why my son Zachary can see it in me. Every traffic jam, every person that irritates you, every time you're tempted to worry, to be critical, to be jealous, that's an opportunity for you to be refined, for you to stay on the potter's wheel. In difficult times, we can prove to God what we're made of. That's our quality when we get tested. And if you work with God and stay on the potter's wheel, God wants you to be what? He wants you to be moldable, pliable for your clay to be wet. And then your character will come up higher. But oftentimes, what do we do? We do this. I don't like the situation I'm in. I want to get off the potter's wheel. And so we run off. No, thank you, God. Someone asked for a replay. I'll do it one more time. I don't care. I'm going to be patient. Are you really going to take coffee breaks during the sermon? Yes. Why, yes, I am. They taught me in seminary, preach with a sense of urgency. I'm not doing that today. You know, you know. I used to want you to be interactive, but not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. 
Oh, uh, that's good. I'm going to go get another cookie. I was writing my uh, prayer journal this week. You should have a prayer journal. And um, talking about patience. And um, I leave a section in my prayer journal on the right-hand side for God to answer. <laughs> my side's the left side. <laughs> His side's the right side. And um, I was reading some of my prayers about patience and this message. And God suddenly filled in the right side. And God said these words to me. John, if you have time to whine and complain about something, then you have time to do something about it. Amen? The Israelites, the Israelites were headed towards the promised land. From where they were to the promised land, it was an 11-day walk. It's a pretty good walk. But they started complaining. It's hot. We're tired. We don't have any beef fajitas anymore. In Egypt, we had beef fajitas. Where's our chips and queso, Moses? Can't we just go back to Egypt? And they kept getting off the potter's wheel. And that 11-day journey ended up taking more than 40 years. And that one whole generation didn't even get to go into the promised land. They kept going around the same mountain again and again. Maybe you can relate. We don't like it. But we know God wouldn't have us in that place unless we needed it. God uses situations to refine us, to prepare us, to make us tougher and stronger it's not working against us, it's actually working for us. And if they would have passed those tests, if they would have let God refine them over those 11 days, they could have had the promised land. God promised it to them. So my challenge to us today is don't do like the Israelites did and spend the next 40 years responding to uncomfortable situations the same way, which is getting upset, getting offended, feeling impatient, feeling sorry for yourself. No, actually stay on the potter's wheel. Next time you're stuck in a situation, imagine, imagine instead of having a sour approach, imagine saying, God, I believe you're guiding me. You're directing my steps. You have me at the right place at the right time. So I'm going to stay in this peace. I'm going to enjoy it where I am. And I'm going to get another bite of a cookie. Mary Jo, you outdid yourself. Wednesday, can you bring some? Our problem is we want patience, and we want it now. Franklin Jones once said, you can learn many things from children, how much patience you have, for instance. <laughs> I'm in Men's Warehouse the other day, and Men's Warehouse loves me because I spend money there. And Grant is the GM there. He's a really nice guy. So I come in, and um, he's like, we have some new jeans. And we have, and he thinks he's being funny, but he's corny like me. Uh, and he says, we have some, some, <laughs> he knows I'm a pastor. This is so bad. We have some holy jeans. <laughs> they have holes already in them. They look like they're already worn for years, and they'll be comfortable immediately. I thought to myself, hmm, look like you've already been worn out. And then I got online, and I was on Facebook, and an ad came up. You know that you can buy spray-on mud? For real, for your 4 by 4 I'm not kidding. It's a best-selling product. It's called spray-on mud. The ad for it reads this way. If you want the look of the trail without the effort, you can just fake it. You can go from mall crawlers to fitting in with real four-wheelers. 
So you can buy jeans with holes in it and fake mud, but there are no shortcuts to Christian maturity. And a lot of times we want to microwave it, right? Come on, God, let this be the microwave wheel, not the potter's wheel. Roy Gallagher was an Irish blues guitarist who played an old batter Fender guitar. The paint was stripped off of it, and it went well with the gritty blues that he used to play. Well, Johnny Marr of the Smiths, who was a great guitarist, admired Gallagher's guitar so much that he took his own guitar to a, to a workroom in a woodroom at school, and he put a blowtorch on it and to try to make it look old and aged. He set the guitar on fire and the workroom on fire and almost burned the school down because you can't microwave maturity. But too often, what do we pray? God, change my children. They're getting on my nerves. God, change my boss. He's driving me crazy. God, change traffic. It's making me upset. God, change my wife. God, change the pastor. (laughs) Come on, you've said it. I've said it. God's more interested in changing me than he is changing my circumstances. Sometimes we're trying to pray away the very thing that God wants to use. And the reason he's not removing it is he's waiting for us to change. Everyone here got a person that irritates you? Don't look at your neighbor. I saw some of you looking at your spouses. God can use them like sandpaper to rub the rough edges off of you. That person that's hard to get along with, God can teach you to become merciful, kind, and understanding. Even your Catholic neighbors, <laughs> whom I have, who have the statues in their yard, and the 17-year-old kids that like to smoke weed in the backyard, <laughs> and don't think I know what weed smells like. And so I said to them, what are you smoking? Old cloves. That doesn't smell like cloves, gentlemen. I'm 50 years old. I'm a grown man. So you're saying you smoked it, huh, pastor? No. (laughs) That's all I'm going to go with that story. (laughs) (laughs) The loved one that keeps saying hurtful things to you, God can use them to toughen you up so you're not always offended. They're not here by accident. Have you ever thought that some of the people that are in your life, God has placed them on purpose? So you could look inside and say, God, how can I change? How can I be more patient, more forgiving, more loving, more understanding? See, I believe you shouldn't ever pray for God to change somebody else without first praying, God, change me. Now, I asked myself this question, and I actually asked it in a sermon series a few months ago. How much have I grown in the last five years? Do I have a better attitude? Am I... Able to forgive more quickly? Do I treat people better? Am I more loving? Am I more considerate? Am I more generous? Am I less resentful? We shouldn't be at the same place we are today than we were five years ago. We should be growing. Amen? So you should not let the same people or the same circumstances or the same things steal your joy. You don't have time to waste Your time, as you are all hurtling quickly towards death, you are, so am I. So you better use your time not to complain and whine, but actually grow. 
Don't be like the Israelites. 40 years wasted. Can you imagine doing the funeral service for 40 years of people who've never went into the promised land? It's a bunch of they could have, should have, would have. The scripture talks about how there are actually different levels people can grow into. If you look into this, there are vessels of clay, there are vessels of wood that are used for ordinary purposes. But if you stay on the potter's wheel, if you're not willing to get stuck in how you treat people, how you respond to difficulties, the scripture says God will keep refining you and then you'll become a vessel of gold used for its highest purposes. So like lumps of clay, we've got impurities, impatience, selfishness, anger, and God will put us in situations to work it out of us. The key is to pass those tests. I'll give you an example of how I'm different. I know you can't wait. That was a joke. (laughs) I'll patiently wait for your laughter. When Renee and I were first married, And we were about to go someplace. Now, I come from a military background, okay? So that means 15 minutes early is on time. Renee? No. No, no, no. I would say to Renee, are you ready to leave? She would say, yes. I would go get in the car, turn the car on, be in the driveway. And I would wait, and I would wait, and I would wait, and I would And then I would wait some more. And I would get really frustrated. And I'd go back in and I'd go, I thought you said you were ready. And she said, yes, I'm ready. And I would say, well, would you mind getting in the car? And this happened time and time again. I would get so stressed, so uptight. And I was praying prayers like this. God, you got to change her and make her more of this, make her more of that. And I had a whole outline of things that God should change about my lovely spouse. I know it's just me. Your spouses are perfect. I had her on my potter's wheel. Except she didn't cooperate. So the funny thing is, God used her to change me. Took a couple of years. I kept going around the same mountain. And finally, God said, you know, life's too short to stress this out about this. She's not going to change. So you need to change. So I did. So now, when we get ready to go somewhere, I'm patient, I'm calm, I'm peaceful. When she says, I'm ready to go, I make a mental adjustment. You ever watch football? You ever watch an NFL game? Two-minute warning. There are two minutes left in the game. You know what that means? There's 30 minutes left in the game. 30, 40 minutes left of TV time. Now when she says, I'm ready to go, I sit down, I watch a Netflix show, I get something to eat, I mow the lawn, I wash my car. When she comes out, we're ready to go. I'm not willing to go around that mountain anymore. It ain't gonna change. I need to change. God wouldn't put you in that situation if you didn't need it. He's not going to be content with you to stay 
a vessel of clay, a vessel of wood, not even a vessel of silver, he's going to keep spinning you around and around until he brings out all those impurities and you become a vessel of gold like you were created to be. So how would you look at difficulties if you said, God, what are you trying to teach me? God, what are you trying to change me? God, what are you trying to mold in me as I go through this circumstance? See, that's a whole different way of praying versus, oh, God, get me out of this situation. Amen? So our job is to realize every challenge, every delay, every offense that someone commits towards us as an opportunity to grow. You just can't pray everything away. God's not going to remove every difficult person from your life. A.A. Milne, the author of Winnie the Pooh, had the same philosophy. I love his quote on patience. Rivers know this. There is no hurry. We shall get there someday. I read an article this week about how in the northeast area for fishing for codfish had become a huge commercial business for codfish in the northeast. Huge market for codfish all over the United States, but they had a major problem with distribution. At first, they tried freezing the codfish to get them, you know, to restaurants and stores all around the country, and they shipped it as they do the other products. But for some reason, when you freeze a codfish, it just loses all its taste. Next, they tried shipping it alive in big containers with fresh seawater. But they thought that would solve the problem. But that only made it worse because the codfish just sat there inactive in the water and they became soft and mushy and they lost their taste. So someone came up with an interesting idea. They decided to put a catfish in each container with the codfish. The catfish is the natural enemy of the codfish. So the whole time the codfish was being shipped, it had to stay alert and active and looking out for the catfish. It solved the problem when the codfish arrived at their destination. They were just and fresh and tasty as they were meant to be. What's my point? My point is sometimes what looks like an enemy is really an asset. Think about the times you've grown the most. It's through difficulties when you've remained on the potter's wheel, even when you didn't want to. The person that gets on your nerves, that neighbor that doesn't treat you right, the traffic that gets you stressed out, what you think there is to defeat you, God put there to make you better, to refine you, to promote you, to bring out the fullness of your destiny. I was mentioning this story in the Sunday school class. Reverend Harold Wilkie was a man who was born without arms. And they didn't want to become a minister because... They said, you can't baptize babies, you can't hold babies. And he said, that's easy, I'll just dip my lips in the water and I'll kiss the babies on the forehead in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he went on to become a minister and he did everything with his feet, including in 1992, he handled, handed George Bush Sr. the pen to sign the Civil Disabilities Act for the whole United States. Handed him the pen with his feet. But if you talk to Harold Wilkie, he's a UCC minister. If you talk to Harold Wilkie, he'll tell you about what his mom used to do. He's three years old. Get dressed. He doesn't have any arms, any hands. He said, how easy do you think it was for me to get dressed with my feet at three? Not very easy. But you know what? His mom never dressed him. She said, you got to learn. 
everything with your feet, everything with your feet. And he cried and cried and cried. But you know what? She knew to keep him on the potter's wheel and that's how he would grow and become who he is. Somebody say amen. Because sometimes <laughs> the people you encounter, that grouchy clerk, that slow waiter, the child that never stops, sometimes they are divinely orchestrated by the creator of the universe to help make you and mold you into the person that God wants you to be. So how you respond is what makes a difference. If you get upset, impatient, offended, feel sorry for yourself, you're stuck. Pay attention to what you don't like in life, what you're praying for God to remove, what you're fighting against. It may be that catfish is there to help you grow. Now, you may work with a catfish. I told the story to someone else this week, and they said, I'm married to a catfish. Well, you might need a change. You may say, John, my mother-in-law, she's not a catfish. She's a great white. God wouldn't have put you there if you didn't need it. Like iron sharpens iron, says the Proverbs, they're going to sharpen you, so stay on the potter's wheel. God's going to use that to strengthen you, to refine you, to polish you, to develop your character. What happens when you squeeze a tube of toothpaste? What comes out? Toothpaste. So what happens when life squeezes you? What comes out? Impatience offensiveness, anger, or love, mercy. Think about how patient Jesus was with people. I mean, think about this. Love is patient. That's what 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. So as they're nailing him to the cross, what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them, love them. They don't know what they're doing. That's pretty patient. Scripture, 1 Peter says, and this was the basis of picking that song, Gold, that we did, our faith is tried in the fire of affliction as fire purifies gold. If you want to make silver, you have to get the temperature just right to burn off the impurities. You don't really know what's inside of you until you're put under pressure, amen? And the pressure brings to light what we need to deal with. Peter said to Jesus, I'll never deny you. I'm your biggest follower. And Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. Judas was going to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew it. And Jesus was patient in love because that night, Judas got the same thing the other disciples did at the Last Supper, right? He got the broken bread and the wine. So when you find yourself in an uncomfortable situation where you feel like you're being impatient, you feel like telling somebody off, you're tempted to be upset, you could recognize that this could be a test. I'm here for a reason. I'm not going to go around the same mountain responding in the same way. I'm going to come out higher. I'm going to keep my cool. I'm going to let God shape me. And if you stay on that potter's wheel and you let God keep refining you, you are headed towards that vessel of gold. And that's when God can release some amazing things he has in your future. But it really depends on the quality of your character. You have gifts, you have talents, but your character is what really matters. We found that out as a church, right? We've hired people that had tremendous talent and tremendous gifts, but were a zero on the character. And some of you know what I'm talking about. 
How many of you here think you might be declared a saint one day? <laughs> you are saints. You just don't know it. It's interesting. Um, there's a Catholic spiritual director um, and a priest that I love among the Catholic priests named Richard Rohr. You ought to read Father Richard Rohr. And he says, when candidates are considered for sainthood, they're examined for the evidence of two things, joy and patience. Because he says, there's no such thing as a sad, impatient saint. Some of you are like, well, I'm never going to make it. Be patient. Think about it. If you're an employer and you had to hire someone and you had two candidates who were equal in every way except one was grumpy and negative and hard to get along with and the other one was happy and positive and easy to get along with, which one would you hire? If you were to call a service center rep and who would go out of your way to please the customer on the other end of the line and then you have call another customer service rep who's a jerk, which one do you want to work for you? And it's actually good for you. Honest it is. It is good for you to be joyful. Proverbs 17, 22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. This has been actually substantiated through scientific research. I mean, I love it that Solomon knew it 3,000 years ago and science had to prove it now. They have proven that laughter changes chemicals in our bodies and releases endorphins, promoting a feeling of well-being. It doesn't even have to be genuine or spontaneous laughter. It can be laughter like you do when you laugh at my jokes. It can be contrived and it will still release the chemicals. Or you can keep going around the same mountain and have anxiety and sleeplessness and impatience and ulcers in your stomach. So the question is, how do you choose to be happy and loving and patient? Number one, by choosing not to complain. I tried that this week. I told my, my, my wife and Zach, this is a no complaint week. And they're like, that'll last five minutes. I said, you already complaining. In every situation that comes your way, you can be impatient about it. You can complain about it. Or you can understand it's your choice. Because complaining is an activity. Just like tonight, you're going to say, or in a few minutes, oh, the cowboys are on. Woof. Must see TV. I'm going to go home and watch the cowboys. And you decide you're going to go watch the cowboys. You're going to settle in and get some snacks in your favorite chair, and you're going to watch the cowboys. In the same way, you can say, I'm going to be a person that complains today. And you decide about all the things you're going to complain about and be impatient about. Here's the great secret. If complaining is an activity like any other activity is a choice, it's a choice that you make or you don't make. I told you last week, I've been reading this book, The Traveler's Gift. My mom gave it to me. Um, and it's written by a once homeless man, Andy Andrews. In the book, he travels and meets up with famous people throughout history, and they each teach him a different lesson. In one chapter, he ends up in Amsterdam in October of 1943, and the Nazis are in control of Netherlands, and business, uh, Jewish businessman Otto Frank and his family and four friends have been hiding from the Gestapo for over a year and a half, and food and clothing are being provided by Frank's secretary and husband. It's in this situation that the author meets 14-year-old Anne Frank, who challenges him 
to choose happiness. Happiness is a strange direction from a 14-year-old who's definitely on the potter's wheel, hiding from certain death. In her diary, which was published after the war, and you ought to read it, because she died in a concentration camp a month before it was liberated by the Allies, she wrote these words. I've often been downcast, but never in despair. I regard our hiding as a dangerous adventure, romantic and interesting at the same time. In my diary, I treat all the privations as amusing. I made up my mind now to lead a different life from other girls and later on different from ordinary housewives. My start has been so very full of interest, and that is the sole reason why I have to laugh at the humorous side of the most dangerous moments. She's 14, hiding in a wall when she wrote those. So she's being patient and joyful. How many of us would have done the same? In the novel, The Traveler's Gift, Anne tells the traveler, our lives are fashioned by a choice. First we make choices, then our choices make us. And Abraham Lincoln once said, most people are about as happy as they make up their minds to be. So happiness, patience, it's a choice. In 1955, this is my favorite story. If you're still with me, say amen. Amen. If you're ready for the sermon to be over, don't say amen. In 1955, the government of Thailand wanted to build a new highway. But in the middle of their path was a huge religious statue that had actually been there for decades. It had been there since the early 1800s. It was over 40 foot tall, and it was made out of clay, hardened clay. And this statue was greatly endeared by the people. And they knew, the government knew they had to move it with extreme caution. So they got out some cranes and very delicately, this is a 40 foot statue, and they started to lift the statue. But as hard as they tried, some of the clay began to crack and they stopped and they readjusted and they, they tried to do it more carefully. But then again, every time they tried to move it, the clay began to break. And they were very distressed because this was a very important religious statue. And they finally got it to a new destination. But as they were lifting it off the crane uh, and off the truck, a huge piece of clay fell off and they were moving it at night. And one of the workers thought he saw something shiny. And so he took a flashlight and much to his amazement, Underneath the clay statue was a statue made out of solid gold. Up until 1955, Bangkok was the home to an ordinary-looking clay Buddha statue. And the Buddha statue had sat in a quiet monastery for almost a quarter of a century, forgotten and ignored. Most people don't even remember its origins. But Thailand's ruling government began to modernize in 1955, and they discovered the largest gold statue in the world. It's worth over $240 million. And the story is, in 1781, monks who were about to be invaded by the Burmese army covered it with clay to disguise it so the Burmese government wouldn't take it. The monks were all killed in that invasion, and the golden Buddha died with them. And his true identity was hidden for almost three centuries. They made another discovery. The 
the Buddha actually has, they found a key and it actually comes apart in nine different pieces and you can move it safely. Now the Golden Buddha now sits in the Wat Tremet area. It is the largest attraction, it is the most visited thing in Thailand today. I heard that story and I thought to myself, wait a minute, that clay was never supposed to be permanent. It was a facade to protect the gold. Yet it had been there a hundred years, hundreds of years. They thought originally the statue was worth $30,000, but it's worth millions and millions. In the same way, we all start off as vessels of clay. We have flaws, we have weaknesses, impatience, selfishness, pride. All you can see is the clay, but underneath that clay is a vessel of gold. God made you to shine. And as you grow, you keep letting him refine you. Little by little, that clay is going to come off. Think about how Jesus could always see the gold in somebody. Zacchaeus in the tree, the corrupt tax collector, come on down, we're going to have lunch. And all the religious people gasp because all they saw was a man covered in mud and clay and the dirt and the sins. But Jesus saw gold. So this week... I'm going to challenge you. This is your action point. You know, every good sermon has, what do you want people to know? What do you want people to do? So what do I want you to do? I want you to slow down. I want you to know that love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Have you ever said that to somebody? Love me and hurry up. It doesn't work. If you want a real relationship, you've got to crock pot it. You can't microwave it. I just met her. We're getting married in a week. That's a disaster. <laughs> you've got to go through seasons. You've got to crock pot. You've got to simmer and stew. This is definitely true when it comes to men and women. Right? I'm going to just go off on a side tangent, right? No, I'm not going to do it. But it's true. Women are crockpots, men are microwaves. You think about it. Anyhow, <laughs> you've got to slow down and understand that God is going to shape you and mold you. You can try to get off the potter's wheel, but God's going to put you back on there. Not to hurt you, but to build you up, to edify you, to glorify you so that the clay can come off and the gold can shine. Let's pray. God of grace, we give thanks for this time to come together and patiently study your word and patiently think about how much you love us and patiently ponder your love for us. Father, help us to slow down this week, to not be in a hurry, to every time we feel impatient to say, God, what are you trying to teach me right now? To every time we feel like we shouldn't be in this situation May we pray, God, what are you trying to do in me? What are you trying to refine in me? What needs to change about me, God? And may we pray that prayer, Lord. And may we know that the changes can come. For if you can raise Jesus from the dead, you can do anything in our lives. And that means you can take a very impatient man or woman and you can put them through the refiner's fire and you can burn off the impurities and shake off the clay so that we might shine. So when people see us, they might see not impatient, sad saints, but loving, non-hurried, non-anxious, 
people who know and love you and know that your hand is always on the thermostat, God. And if you turn it up, it's because you want to do something within us to refine us. So God, help us to resist the temptation to put other people on the potter's wheel and just focus on ourselves and let you do your good work so that we might shine. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the one who always showed how patient love truly is as he taught us to pray as we say now together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our day of bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. By his kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Grace Presbyterian Church. We hope and we trust that this message was a blessing and gave you much encouragement as you face today. At Grace Presbyterian Church, we are a church family that welcomes everyone who welcomes everyone. And we would love to welcome you. So please join us either online or in person. You'll find a community that loves God and loves each other. And we are blessed by other people joining us. So please come and join us at Grace Presbyterian Church.